Support for the How I Built This Summit comes from American Express, offering eligible card members flexible funding solutions, a smart, savvy way to fund your business. The powerful backing of American Express, don't do business without it. Terms apply. Visit americanexpress.com slash business. Hey everyone, it's Guy here. So today we have another bonus episode from the How I Built This Summit in San Francisco that happened back in October. It's from my live interview with John Zimmer, the co-founder of Lyft, and my original conversation with John ran back in February of last year. And if you haven't heard it, you may want to check it out, because in it, John tells the story of how he launched his first ride-sharing service in college and how he and his co-founder, Logan Green, went on to build one of the biggest ride-hailing apps in the world. And I say one of the biggest, of course, because, well, there's Uber. And it's no secret that those two companies, they have been in a fierce competition pretty much since they launched. It's a rivalry that's up there with, you know, Coke and Pepsi or McDonald's and Burger King. And that competition and how it's affected Lyft is one of the things I wanted to ask John about when we sat down to talk at Yerba Buena Center for the Arts in San Francisco. How you doing? Good. Yeah? Did you guys hear his episode? One of our earlier episodes. Really amazing story. Um, just, just out of curiosity, on, on a, a given day, and you might not be able to say the exact numbers, but roughly, on a given day, how many people use Lyft? So every month we do over 50 million rides. Wow, it's amazing. I mean, this thing, let, let's just start with this idea because um, when you started this idea, when you came up with this idea for Lyft, did, did you guys think of this as a simple idea? Yeah, in a, in a sense, when Lyft started, we had a tagline that was your friend with a car. It was that, it was that simple. There are uh, 250 million vehicles in the United States, I believe, and they're used, each car is used 4% of the time. 96% of the time it's parked. Hmm. So the simple idea was, you know, you know that time where you had a friend with a car that got you where you needed to go. What if we could utilize these cars more? Uh, we could offer new job opportunities for those that needed it and flexibility. If you think about a single parent who can't work a nine to five, having uh, the, the timing flexibility was, was large. And so that was the simple idea. Let's create your friend with a car uh, at a community level. Uh, and that's how it began. What was it, I mean, how much of it was driven by this sense of we want to kind of recreate our relationship with automobiles, this sort of idealistic notion, and, and how much of it was we want to completely disrupt an industry? I never thought about disrupting an industry. We knew that was possible. Uh, we were aware of, you know, in the early days in San Francisco when we started, I sat down with the general managers of the three major taxi companies because I wanted to understand their perspective. And I wanted to make sure that the work we were doing had a net uh, positive benefit on society. So um, I think disruption was something that became part of the equation but wasn't the reason why we began. All right, let's talk about the competition. Pretty soon after your, after your launch, um, Uber kind of stepped into your territory with, with, at that time Uber was a premium black car service. And once Lyft got traction, Uber launched UberX pretty, pretty soon after. And I want to talk more about that because in some ways, the story of Lyft, certainly the early story of Lyft, is partly about your competition with Uber. Back when, when that happened, 
because they were bigger than you um, and, and still are a little bit today. How, how, how worried were you about that competition? Uh, we were quite worried. We started knowing what we were entering into. So we knew we were the underdogs from day one. We, we, we did that you know, with our eyes open. Uh, we knew what we were taking on. Whether it was Uber, uh, the taxi industry, a small company with you know, six years ago, maybe even five years ago, we were about 30 people. Um, wow. How many people are you now? Uh, almost 5,000. Five years ago, you had 30 people. Yeah. You have 5,000 today. Yeah. So yeah, we knew what we were, we were getting into and, and definitely uh, that was concerning at times. But I mean, this became almost like a blood sport for some time, right? This competition between Uber and Lyft and it was really, I mean, Uber wanted to crush you guys. Yeah. How, did you, how did you deal with that? Like, how did you deal with that just from a, you know, a stress level? It was very hard. I have an amazing co-founder, Logan Green, uh, who's a, who's, we didn't know each other before we started working together. Uh, there's a lot of stories of friends who start things together. Uh, we started something together and became friends. Um, I have a, a great wife uh, who is very supportive, but it was, it was very difficult. We woke up one day, it was about four or five years ago, and Uber has raised $3 billion. And we had $100 million left in the bank, which is a lot of money but only a few more months left, and now you have this crazy competitor who wants to kill you. Um, that, that was definitely, definitely tough, but I think we, we stayed focused on our values, we stayed focused on our, our vision and our mission, and, and just put our heads down and executed, and tried our best not to get distracted. Mm. A, a lot of people here are building are building ideas um, that will inevitably attract copycats, inevitably attract competitors, even, even brutal competitors. Um, what, what, what have you learned about your competition with Uber that might help someone figure out how to deal with, you know, with their own competitors? Yeah, so if you think back five, five years ago, everyone said we were dead. Right. I mean, if you look at the odds, $3 billion, a, a strong competitor, uh, network effects as part of the business, but but values do matter. Treating people well does matter. And having a mission that you focus on and care about more deeply than someone else uh, in the end really matters. So I would just say focus on, on what you can control. And there are, there are good forces at play. And how did the dynamic between you, you and Logan work? Like how did you, when, it sounds like what you're saying is he was kind of the steady, you know, calm force and you were sort of, a little bit freaking out? You were like the freak out person? <laughs> um, I think in simplistic terms, that's reasonable. Um, <laughs> he's, uh, I'm, I'm more emotional, uh, he's more logical. But I, I think it's fair to say there were moments where we both freaked out. Did you ever think that, I mean, you said people thought we were gonna, we were gonna be crushed, we were gonna yeah. be finished. Did a part of you ever worry that that might happen? Yeah. How, how, I mean, really, like you thought, you have sleepless nights like this, we might not be around. Yeah, of course. Um, Were vultures circling around? <laughs> it felt like it. You know, and you, you go to work every day and you want to rally the troops and you talk to whether it's reporters or investors. And, and one of the big things people were saying was that like, Uber is so aggressive, you guys are nice. And it was like, what, like, sorry? Um, <laughs> we're, we're trying to treat people well and we are aggressively pursuing our mission, but you know, we, we entered, as I said, we knew what we were getting ourselves into and, and we took it on. Uber is a, a good product. Lyft is a good product. I and mean, they, they, they do things really well. You guys do things really well. I'm curious 
how that competition has actually made Lyft better. Yeah, it's a great point. The, the competition has absolutely created more urgency, uh, more focus, more prioritization. You know, we started tipping for drivers. We started rental cars that were completely flexible uh, on a weekly basis for drivers. We started this idea of treating drivers well, which is uh, shocking that it's an idea um, and not obvious. And, and so I think in this case, competition uh, has been a good thing. All right, so this is a, this is a, a tricky question, but I, I'm going to ask you this anyway, which is when Uber ran into so many problems, we know what those were, uh, many, of course, of their own making, um, culminating in the resignation of, of, of the founder. Was there some, I don't know, some schadenfreude on your part? Did you guys kind of feel like... <laughs> feel like what? Did you, I mean, did you sort of feel like, well, you know... I mean, I, I can't say I was disappointed, um, but, but we were very careful about how we, how we behaved because it was a, a really critical moment. You know, all eyes were on the industry, were on us, and there were a lot of people that were hurt by what happened, both you know, internally at our competitor, sure. uh, externally. And so we told our team, this is not a time to gloat, and we mean that, and we meant that. You know, why would we celebrate someone else's pain? And if our goal is to improve people's lives with the world's best transportation and to serve our drivers and passengers, this doesn't affect us doing that. So here, here's, here's what's interesting about your, I mean, not only is this a complex and regulated, highly regulated industry, but the, the technology is changing so fast, right? Like in 10 years, we might not even, even be driving cars at all, maybe 20 years, right? So how do you, I mean, how do you think about your business model and how it might, how it might evolve over time. So there will be a portfolio of options that we offer you to say a subscription. We want to offer you transportation as a service. Instead of spending $9,000 a year to own and operate your vehicle, uh, we want to sell you maybe it's $500 a month uh, subscription plan. Similar to how you buy minutes, you'll buy 1,000 miles. And you'll get access to our bikes and scooters. You'll get access to transit through the partnerships we have with local governments. You'll get access to rides. That is what we're doing. As technology changes, as we add bikes and scooters, it becomes part of that. Uh, as we look to autonomous vehicles, it's not the be-all, end-all. It's part of providing that transportation to our customer. In an earlier interview, I asked Jen Hyman about her business, Rent the Runway, and she described how it was fully formed right at the beginning when she was in business school, that she had this vision for a closet in the cloud, but that she just introduced a part of that company at the beginning, the, the high-end ball gown re rental company. But ultimately, she knew that she wanted to create a company where you could buy, you could get all your clothes. Did, it, what you're talking about now, where you're paying a, a monthly subscription fee and you have access to all these things and driverless cars, like, were you thinking about that you know, seven, eight years ago? Or, or, or is Lyft what Lyft is today? Was that, was that the vision? I think somewhere in between. Um, but when we started, again, the vision is like at the city level. If you look outside and walk around, you see cars, you see pavement, and you see parking spots. That sucks. Uh, and another thing you see is people staring down at their phone or driving alone in their car. And, and we don't like that. And so we're trying to solve what we think is a big part of the design problem. And so we did have that vision to 
eventually get into other forms of transportation. I remember thinking in college of some type of automated service that would just be way more efficient and allow you to have less infrastructure. But there are parts of it that are definitely new as well. So I, I want to I go back to the theme of scaling because it's 2018 now. And really, four years ago, you were a fraction of what you are today. I mean, you were a tiny company comparatively. April 24th, 2014, on that one single day, you launched in 24 cities simultaneously. A, a huge, insane launch. How did you manage that, that growth and, and that scale? Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a constant balance, I think, for us about picking our areas of focus. Uh, we've chosen to be careful about international launches. We've chosen not to go into food delivery. But we did think having coverage in the United States for, for, for every American uh, is a critical factor. If we want to replace car ownership as the best way for you to get around, if we want to be, you know, have transit, uh, Lyft, bikes and scooters all in one app, having coverage first in the United States for a car that was as convenient as a car parked in your uh, driveway, coverage was important. If you hear the podcast, you talk a lot about how your sort of commitment to the environment and your interest in, in the environment really kind of motivated this initially, this idea initially. But as with any new technology, there are unintended consequences. And even with Lyft, there are. Even with Uber, there are, right? You've seen studies that have shown that in some cities, there's an increase in traffic. Some people say you go to airports, there's an increase in traffic because of ride-sharing drivers. Is that something that you think about? Do you, do you ever think that's not what we intended to do? And, and yeah, yeah. We, we're definitely, our goal is to get rid of traffic. So when there are cases that we are adding to it, uh, that is not good, and that's something that we do think a lot about. Uh, is there was, a solution to it? Yeah. Congestion pricing uh, is the best solution. Getting more investment in public transportation uh, is another solution. And those two things can be directly tied together. So we may be an unlikely, people might not expect it, but you know, I think we'll become more vocal about our advocacy for both of those things. You could imagine a future where to drive into a city at a certain time, you have to pay like in London, you have to pay a fee to go into the city? Yeah, you need to have that, in order for there to be equity, you need to have a free option for those that can't afford it. We have that in the East Bay called the carpool lane, and we now have products like our shared ride service that can make it easier for people to connect and get into that carpool lane, or just the casual carpooling lines that exist and have existed for many years that actually work quite well. Mm -hmm. So I do think, ultimately, if we, as a society, want to get rid of traffic, we need to all create a new system. Right. I know um, I want to shift for in, in our final moments because I know a lot of people think that when they launch a business, they really think of the what. You know, what is it that I'm trying to create? We've talked about this before and I've, I've heard you talk about the why, the, the why, that the why of what you're launching is much more important than the what. So what do you mean by that? Yeah. So there's some revisionist history that uh, I now like to say the why in Lyft is because uh, the why behind our work is way more important than the what. The why, that has always been true that the why has been important. The reason is like in today's society, we can, there's so many things we can make. Technology is incredible. We can have these computers in our hand that everyone can have, but why? Why are we doing this? So I think there's too much focus on the next, you know, often in technology, you have the, the next phone release. And I think there needs to be a much 
much more push from all angles on people thinking about why are we doing this? And if we all were to agree on like principles of what's important, principles around, you know, for us, equity, sustainability, economic mobility, then, then our what would be better informed. John, and I love this question. I love asking people at your, at your point in, in your career this question. If you were sitting in this audience 10 years ago watching somebody like you up here, what, would you, what do you wish you would have known that would have been helpful to you as you were growing and creating your business? Well, first, five years ago, I, I very much could have been in the audience. Um, five so, years ago? Yeah, so um, you can accomplish a lot in a short amount of time. And you know the thing that's been cemented in our minds is just having a core set of values and a mission that drives you uh, is, is the thing that matters most. And so is that how you thought of it even 10 years ago? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think in our society, you know, in the United States, for the most part, we're extremely fortunate that there are a lot of job opportunities. And if you do have a choice, not everyone does, but if you have a choice and you can do something you're passionate about with the majority of your time, or you can do something you don't like doing, like, you know, again, if you're lucky and fortunate to have the choice, then you should do what you're passionate about. So do you think people are going to be driving cars in 20 years? Just curious. Uh, in major urban environments, I do not think so. I think maybe we'll go to amusement parks to do that. Wow, in 20 years. Yeah. Incredible. John Zimmer, founder of Lyft. John, thank you so much. Thank you. John Zimmer joined me live on stage at the How I Built This Summit, which happened last month at the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts in San Francisco. And over the next month, we're going to be posting three more bonus interviews from the summit. Next Thursday, it's my conversation with Joe Gebbia of Airbnb. Oh, and if you want to hear more from Summit Speakers, check out a new video with Cheryl Conti, CEO of DoBigThings.today. Cheryl talks about overcoming the imposter syndrome and other anxieties that come with starting a business. You can find that video on the How I Built This Facebook page. And thanks for listening to today's bonus episode. It was produced by Rachel Faulkner with music composed by Ramtin Arablui. I'm Guy Raz, and you've been listening to a bonus episode of How I Built This from NPR. The news is about more than what just happened. You need to know why it happened, who made it happen, how it's felt in the communities you care about. NPR's daily news podcast, Consider This, gives you all of that, with context, backstory, and analysis on a single topic every weekday. It's not just information, it's what the news means. Consider This from NPR.